Hello and welcome to another episode of Video Game Logic. Today's episode was recorded on June the 9th, 2020. I'm your host, gaming psychologist, and with me, as always, nothing fancy this week. My uh, Captain Rage. <laughs> on today's show, we will, of course, be discussing the games that we have played. Take Two kills the KSP2 dev, pulling contracts and attempts to poach talent. Destiny 2 is removing its year one content from the game. We're going to be talking about a couple of gaming companies that are actually taking action amid recent world events. Uh, we'll be talking about our Steam Discovery queues. Timestamps will be in the show notes following their respective topics. Hello, Rage. Hello. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm here. I, I had a cup of coffee like an hour and a half ago, and it's already worn off. I've got yeah, I was tea now. Say, uh, it sounds like you need another one. I've got tea now to to help. But, you know, like I was saying in the Franken content, like, I, I kind of just had, like, a really high anxiety day. And my brain it just is not working properly this evening for some reason. Also, like, the rest of your body got it. Yeah, yeah, my mind is the only uh, vestige of, I don't know, healthiness or at least not brokenness. I was going to say. But today uh, it's as uh, broken as my body. If your brain is healthy or what you consider healthy, whoo. <laughs> well, I am an expert on such things. Right. I've got the degree and the certifications to prove it in a court of law, sir. Well, you guys heard him. He's certified. <laughs> Hell yeah. Oh, man. How are you? I'm doing all right. Uh, had uh, the niece over for a bit. Uh, well, she spent the night last night, so... Uh, ended up having to play uh, something other than Tyranny for the last couple of days. And actually, that might not be a bad thing, but that's Game Club talk, and we're still several weeks away from that. Indeed. Although, so far at this point, just a, a like, I guess, a tiny snippet, you're not getting on so well with it, and I am, so... Yeah, a complete reverse from last month. Yeah. But, you know, that's how it goes sometimes. Or lots of times for us um yeah but anyway uh shall we uh talk about uh what i did play let's do that my two if you that sounds good i like to be in the middle oh my and well the brain is back up to working about as well as it could be indeed i struggled and got origin running and i actually tweeted out my frustrations about it well, yeah, I saw that Sims tweet. Four a little bit. So let me talk about Origin first. Let me bitch about this. All right. All right. Um, EA, if you're out there, and I know you're out there, you are always listening. First of all, fuck you. <laughs> uh, I, I would uh, make a reference to uh, last week tonight, but you haven't watched it, so it wouldn't be nearly as funny. But th- there's a one section that I think you'll appreciate. Uh, but. EA needs to upgrade their servers that send out authorization codes to something that actually isn't dial-up. So, since I reformatted, or not really reformatted, but repaired my computer, I had to reinstall a lot of shit. And I never bothered to set Origin back up. Well, uh, Deese was coming over, so thought, yeah, Sims 4. I, wait, I have Sims 4. 
that that would be a good uh, game just to play with her for a bit. Yeah, nice, somewhat wholesome. I don't have any of the DLC, and I'm not going to spend seven hundred dollars on it. But yeah, play dress up, fine. That that's good enough, right? Well, only seven hundred dollars. Uh, yeah, I know. I'm probably low balling, but but they do <laughs> usually have at least one or two of the packs on sale. Fair enough. So, uh, went to uh, install it. Well, gotta log in first. Uh, type in my uh, username and password. It says, okay, we'll send you a, a two-factor authorization code. Five, ten minutes go by. They finally get it to me. All right, great, fine. Whatever. Download the thing. Go to in, uh, uh, install it. Uh, install it. Uh, lo- go log in on Origin. We don't know who you are. Please wait for while we send you an authorization code. Fuck. Do I really want to play this? <laughs> right? Oh, yeah, just my sort of mini rant. Every other service I have that uses two-factor authorization, it doesn't take them 10 damn minutes for them to send me a code. Uh, what, do they have an intern in there drawing numbers out of a hat to send out? Yeah, usually it takes like 10 seconds to get uh, a two-factor authorization code or something like that. Let's put it this way. It took it so long. The way I have my email set up, I have like a one central email account that everything else filters into. Mm-hmm. And sometimes that causes an issue. I actually logged out of my primary email, went to the email that uh, is the more public facing one. It started rooting around the spam filter to see if it got caught. Nothing there. I went back to the other one, checked the spam filter there. It still wasn't there. I went back to the inbox and then it shows up. And that was on the first one. Mm-hmm. So yeah, uh, EA, Fuck you and your two-factor authorization. But okay, now on to the game. (laughs) (laughs) Also, just in general, EA, fuck you. Yeah, I mean, okay, I did not buy The Sims 4. This was a giveaway probably like two or three years ago now. While they were still giving away random games for a while. And I had a EA account. I think it was... uh, Actually, I think it was Paradise City. Uh, They upgraded... upgraded my account there to a full origin account so i had one and i just would collect the games so at one point i i collected sims 4 through that and decided to try it out and it does kind of scratch that itch that uh, the sims has always been kind of a sort of guilty pleasure just kind of goof around game for usually building homes and that sort of thing Mm -hmm. and there is actually a lot of content that they've added to the game for free. Uh, pretty much any time they have a big uh, expansion, they have the Paradox model where uh, the free patch also adds something or some things to the base game or the free version of the game. And they've also had several uh, updates. I think they're on... Actually, I don't know what the latest update number is. Actually, I could go check. Um, uh, actually, they stopped numbering them. Uh, but let's put it this way. On one of them, it was like update 76. I mean, this game has been updated pretty regularly, and they have just a stupid amount of stuff packs and expansion packs and game packs and, and pack packs. And I mean, let's put it this way. Whenever you first log into the game and they show you, you know, this is all your content. And, you know, it's like that one free stuff pack that they give you anyway. And it's a full yeah. wall of just grayed out icons saying, yeah, here's all the cool stuff that you don't have. And let's see. There are three, six, not 
non-primary expansion packs. And that's expansion packs, not stuff packs. So these are you know, major game-altering stuff, and then there's the stuff packs that are you know, just content or clothes. There's a lot of chairs for some reason, right? Yes, I yeah. too watch LGR. <laughs> I do too. I like LGR. Uh, but anyway, I've, the primary difference between Sims 4 and Sims 3, outside of one more and the lack of an open world, is that they try to get, make the Sims more expressive and have moods. And honestly, it didn't feel like it really did that much. Uh, now, mind you, if you're trying to min-max, you could probably just you know, ignore all the moodlets because after a while, you get a, enough stuff that you're able to just kind of overwrite all the moods. Because the way it kind of works is that Different personality traits give different moodlets. So someone that's active uh, will uh, tend to be energized a lot more often. Or someone that's kind of a, a nerd will uh, want to be a little bit more reclusive. That sort of thing. And they also revel in those activities and it makes them feel better about it. Mm-hmm. But on the uh, on the other end of the spectrum, someone that like is a couch potato will absolutely hate having to go uh, work out, that sort of thing. And we'll start throwing more fits. But if you're able to front load it more, you're able to just pretty much ignore it, which, you know, basically, you know, uh, go have a, you know, slam down a couple of cups of coffee, you know, uh, look at that uh, weird-ass uh, statue. And that kind of makes the entire point of emotion system, eh, meh, which is kind of a, disappointing whenever they talked so much about it whenever you know they were originally putting out sims for what like 20 years ago now (laughs) i think it's been like five or six years yeah yeah to me sims 3 is where the series peaked Mm -hmm. yeah the problem with sims 3 was that after all the dlc and expansions and everything it did get bogged down and would become unstable because of the open world aspect of it in Sims 4, it went back to the lot-based system where if you uh, leave the lot, you're basically in like a time bubble. And then when you come back, it, it has this kind of weird sinking thing going on. Mm-hmm. But it also brings it up to modern or modern as of like five or six years ago to arms where everybody has proper cell phones, where there's a lot more social media aspects. Uh, they added in the gig economy or, where you're able to... Uh, work from home as a freelance writer or freelance uh, programmer, that sort of thing. And that's in a free patch. And actually, uh, that's uh, been the more productive uh, member of the household was the person that just stayed home and programmed all day, the computer nerd. Yeah, you could kind of do those things in Sims 3. I mean, you could become just like a novelist or an artist and work from home all the time. Mm-hmm. You could yeah, do this coding. Is more structured. Right. Where it has a full-on or a full-on uh, system where you're able to take on small jobs, and each of the jobs have different milestones. Like uh, a writer may ha- be able to take on a gig where you have to go interview people, but also uh, has it where some of the careers ha- has a built-in state aspect as well. Like once again, like reporters or that sort of thing are able to just work from home mm-hmm. and take on assignments uh, that way. And telecommute. 
I think the only way to do that, like, regularly for jobs in Sims 3 was there was, like, a trait that your character could get in one of the expansions. Maybe it was, or maybe it wasn't. Maybe it was just the workaholic trait. You could work from home. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is a, uh, uh, a, a full-on system, and uh, it's supported in the different career modes, so different careers are able to uh, have some sort of aspect at home and also working through the uh, careers is dependent on different milestones for example the cooking career uh, it not only requires you to have a certain amount of skills and mixology and cooking but also it advances your career by actually you know doing that at home as well and as a mini milestone to improve your performance a little bit faster not to mm-hmm. say that's slow to begin with, but still, the overall system isn't bad. It's just it feels like there's a certain imbalance to it, which I'm probably just looking at as a more hardcore gamer and thinking, eh, right? Yeah, possibly. I mean, I own The Sims Four. I've never played it. Anytime I want to play The Sims, I'm like, do I want to play The Sims Four or do I want to lo- want to load Sims Three back up? Well, I, and I always pick Sims Three. Well, I was originally wanting to play Sims Two, but uh, it wasn't working on my computer at all. It was just hang on loading, and I didn't yeah. have enough time to sit there and try to uh, debug it. Basically, Windows Ten broke something in The Sims Two, and there is a way to get it working, but it just I did not have the time to work on it. Mm-hmm. Which I have the ultimate edition. That's something else that they gave away at one point. I don't think I don't think I have that. I think I just have like the standard edition. Because mm-hmm. I didn't get it when it was given away. I think, but it was on sale for like five dollars, and you got the base game, and I think like one DLC or one expansion, whatever that you got to choose. And there was like three or four you could pick from. I think. Yeah. The uh, at one point they gave away the. Uh, Sims 2 with the Ultimate Edition, which was actually the last time they bundled all the DLCs together. And I have that, but just couldn't get it working, which is a little frustrating. Yeah. Now I want to reinstall the Sims 3. Oh, hey, it's installed. Sweet. (laughs) Well, that was quick. Probably the closest your internet's ever in. I know. It's probably been installed on one of my uh, drives that I use just for games just been sitting there waiting might see because i have it on steam i might see if there's a uh like how much of it goes on sale during the steam sale and then compare that to origin Mm -hmm. because i mean i don't think that the stuff on steam goes on sale very often and when it does it's not like a super big discount for a game that's now over a decade old yeah yeah let's just put it this way Sims 3, all DLC, which some of this may be doubling up. I'd have to go double check. $379.81. Are you looking at it on Steam or Origin? Yeah, on Steam. Okay, yeah, that's. I was also looking at it. That's Steam, just but... the DLC. Yeah. But that's a lot of stuff packs as well. Yeah, I've got the Sims 3, Seasons, Pets, Generations, and Outdoor Living stuff. And I assume that was just part of a bundle at some point. Or maybe that's... Oh, yeah. Yep. The Sims 3 bundle comes with Sims 3 Generations, Pets, Mm -hmm. Seasons, Outdoor Stuff's not in there. Maybe I got that separate at some point. I don't think I would have just bought Outdoor Stuff, but anyways. Uh, I'm trying to think of anything else major that they uh, do. I mean, it's basically just 
uh, a forward uh, a step for most of the systems at the previous generations. It just, you know, playing it did make me wish that there was more options for this genre, this kind of life sim genre. There were, a, yeah, back in like Sims 1 and 2 era, but they all fell away because trying to get it to work is just so damn complex, a lot more than what people really think. Did run into a bug where uh, one of my Sims was stuck in an infinite loop of trying to harvest two uh, pl- uh, spinach plants over and over and over again until mm-hmm. they collapsed or I fa- figured out, oh, oh, so that's where they ran off to and uh, stopped them. Uh, but not really a lot beyond just talking about the base systems because, you know, it's one of those games that, you know, you play and do your own thing. I do miss the open world aspect of just, you know, seeing everybody walk by. And if you're on a main thoroughfare, uh, seeing a lot more traffic because it is pretty randomly generated. Yeah, that randomness feels a lot more apparent, I guess I should say, in The Sims 4 compared to The Sims 3 where it makes sense why people are going by, you know? Yeah. But uh, all the roads are like dead end uh, cul-de-sacs. Um, well, a cul-de-sac is a dead end, but yeah, you know, a, a, a cul-de-sac, a dead end street. So there's no reason for that much traffic to be going by, you know? Yeah. So it kind of takes you out of this, uh, out of it a little bit if you sit and really start to think about it. But in The Sims 3, where everything was connected, you'd uh, start to you know, see patterns. You know, the same people go by every so often, uh, you know, maybe to their job, maybe... Uh, uh, you know, out for a, you know, a certain uh, set of active sims out for a walk, that sort of thing. This it, it doesn't have that, and I think it lacks something because of it. But I will say that they uh, the oh, that's one thing I didn't talk about was the building. So it's a lot easier to fix your mistakes in The Sims Four when it comes to uh, architecture, because all the rooms are essentially considered as individual units of the building. So, one, you could just pick up and move entire rooms by themselves, custom or pre-built, which is kind of neat. But also, they enable you to kind of just alter the dimensions of a room on the fly without having to rebuild the entire thing. So, for example, uh, the dining room I put in, well, uh, the the house I made was kind of small. It was just a starter home, of course, right? I I, I didn't mother load myself up to the mansion. And I needed space for a bar to be able to work on bartending. Well, I could just go into build mode and just stretch out the dining room a little bit and stretch it over a little bit instead of having to manually knock out a wall, then go in. And it made the house feel a lot more flexible because of just being able to quickly change something within, you know, 10 seconds, which was a, you know, a neat little uh, factor. It's just, uh, it's not... a full-on game changer unless you your entire gameplay is sitting there and playing building up enough money to build a house and then moving out and building another house and doing that sort of thing but if you're sitting there playing the life simulation it's a nice little uh quality of life factor that uh i think is a little understated fair enough and uh, they it feels like the expansions from what i could recall of lgr it's basically retreading what you've already seen in, like, The Sims 3 or The Sims 2, which 
is a little disappointing. I would have liked to have seen yeah, the new tech applied to something else, you know? Uh, but there's always the arbitrary uh, pets uh, expansion, the arbitrary weather uh, expansion, that sort of thing. Which, you know, why did they not just put in the base game? Oh, right, money, right? Yeah. Ugh, which, mm, right. Why give you a full experience when you can be nickel and dimed to death? Because I'm not paying for loot boxes, that's why. Like we both said, $379.81. It's the three seventy nine that's painful, but the eighty one cents that's the salt, right? <laughs> yeah. But anyway, All right. uh, any questions about the Sims four compared to Sims three? I have played both, so Yeah, I don't think so. Um I mean you it's know, basically I... uh, they streamlined a lot of the UI's experience. Like uh create a sim, you're able to just mouse over different body parts and you know, pull stretch and pull. Or uh, use the mouse wheel to uh, change uh, like nose shapes, or uh, yeah, yeah, make a sim slightly taller or shorter, that sort of thing. Uh, there's a lot of streamlined, you know, like little little uh, changes that are nice, but not as groundbreaking to say, oh, this definitely is. A, you know, if you played The Sims Three, you're you're a fool. You need to have The Sims Four. It's eh, right, right. Um, all right. Is it my go then? Yep. Sweet. Um, so, I technically played two games this week, but one of them uh, I think I need to put more time in because of something that happened after I, you know, air quotes, completed a, a playthrough or a run. Um, so, the only game I'm going to talk about this week is Mech Warrior Living Legend. Um, Mech Warrior Living Legend is free. Um, it was a game that was in development for several years before it was scrapped, um, and uh, development was priority was shifted over to Mech Warrior Online. So it is an online multiplayer game, but it it's it uses uh, what's the term for it? it? It's more than just the mechs. You have the mechs, um, you have tanks, you have VTOLs, you have aerospace fighters. You have artillery um, that is all player controlled, and you also have like a battle, like a power armor suit that you spawn in that can be upgraded as well. But um, it was uh, after the development was canceled. Um, somehow the I'm not 100 percent sure like how it worked out this way, but the uh, community that was really behind the game agreed to continue development of the game itself, and basically just signed a contract that said we won't accept any payment for this. We're doing this as fans and as like a mod. So it's built in, or it's all been like ported over to uh, the Crisis Wars, uh, whatever, the like CryEngine and Crisis Wars, um, which was a multiplayer version or multiplayer component of Crisis, I believe. Um, and it uses like the demo for that to essentially launch the game. Um, and it is by far out of the only two online multiplayer mech warrior games that exist that I'm aware of. It's the best one. Um, it plays better than mech warrior online. It's a lot more interesting than mech warrior online. It's got a lot more depth to it than mech warrior online. The only thing that mech warrior online has over this is that it has the, it has a mech lab. You cannot customize any of your mechs or vehicles in living legends, which kind of sucks, but given the nature of the type of game it is, it makes sense. So it's, it's a battlefield or a battlefront 
type game where that um you, it's these large open maps with control points and you have uh sort of like a like a, a shared life meter for your team and different units have different costs so you know a heavy mech is going to cost you more if you die versus just your battle suit um may want to explain so, battle suits Right, so uh, battle suits are, I mean, they're power armor. They have uh, jump jets or, you know, a, a jet pack. Um, and you've got a couple of missiles that are loaded up into it. And you can carry around a couple of weapons. You spawn with, like, just a, a big laser by default, but you can get some other uh, weapons. And they're pretty quick. They're hard to hit by any vehicles or mechs. Um, and they, they pack a decent little punch. I mean, you can't... Uh, well, someone who's good enough probably could, but in general, like you can't go toe to toe with any vehicle or any mech because you can be pretty much one shotted by them. But because the game is uh, as much about capturing and holding points as it is about just killing the opponents, a couple of people in a mech suit or not a mech suits in in battle armor can sneak behind enemy lines and capture control points and be really hard to track down and spot. Um, but everyone spawns in battle armor. The, you get everyone starts um, a a game at uh, sort of like grade one, um, and it, it's called different stuff. It's the clans versus the inner sphere, and they each have their own sort of ranking system. But basically, everyone starts at level one, and the longer the match goes, um, and the more stuff you do, so damaging opponents, capturing points, defending your own points assisting your team because there's some support vehicles that aren't really meant for direct combat but can do other things like deploy radars around the map or create mobile spawn points and repair points and rearm points like doing stuff like that gets you point it get like ups your score so that you uh, get higher rankings and what that does is that gives you more money to start with um so when you spawn you know you have you know fifty thousand. C bills, which is the the money in the Mech War universe. You, so you spawn with fifty thousand C bills, which is enough for like a light mech or um, a vehicle, like a light vehicle of sorts, and potentially some basic upgrades for it, like extra ammo or something like that. Um, and then as you rank up, you get more and more money, which gets you access to larger vehicles um, and more uh, upgrade paths for the existing things that you have. Um, there are multiple variants of everything. So, it, you know, it doesn't have a mech lab. You can't customize things. But there are at least six versions of every single thing that's in there. So, you know, a common mech lab, six different versions with different weapon and equipment and armor loadouts. And it, it, it certainly can feel overwhelming at first, um, even for me as someone who's, like, interested and knows, like, a lot of the extra lore. But... Kind of the first couple of matches that I played, I just spent a lot of time hiding in base, like, okay, what is this? What is it, you know, what does it do? What is the equipment on for this? I figured out a few ba basic things and then just started experimenting through play. The game is extremely forgiving in that way. Um, you know, you everyone spawns in waves if you die, but it's like every 15 seconds you don't lose any progress. So if like, if you die a whole bunch of times, it, it doesn't like take away from you. Um, and if you're playing in a big, like 20 versus 20 game, uh, or, you know, 20 versus 20 server, um, you're not really doing a lot to drag the team down. If you're fucking up and everyone that I've encountered so far has been really nice. There's kind of a double edged sword or maybe a 
triple-edged sword of a small community. Um, everyone that I've encountered has been really nice. Most of them are way better than me. Um, and occasionally you can't find a match because there's not enough players online. Um, like in the beginning, I was using that as sort of training time because you can just drop into a server by yourself and start playing. Um, and I use that to experiment with some things and, and practice, but it kind of sucks now if I log on and there's like not a game going. Um, but I think that's just kind of the nature of the beast of something like this. But it, there's still ways to be effective, even if you suck at kind of direct one-on-one -on -one combat. Like I mentioned earlier, the support systems, or you can focus on capturing as opposed to fighting. Um, or you can just kind of hang back and play like a, a missile boat. So you can rely on your team to spot, and all you have to do is maintain a lock and press the fire button. Um, I, I was really tempted at first to avoid a lot of the vehicles, because in every other MechWarrior, Battletech, you know, game I've played, like, vehicles are basically just cannon fodder. But they're very well balanced um, versus the mechs in the game, uh, and then other vehicles. And then aerospace assets and then like VTOLs, you know, helicopters and stuff um, are also pretty well balanced. Like they get the benefit of being able to fly, but you know, if they take a, you know, a big auto cannon round to the, to the face, they're probably dead. Um, there's a couple that are stronger and can survive, but you know, they're designed for strafing and bombing runs and then fighting other air, air assets, recon, things like that. The tanks, like actual tanks hold up pretty well. They've got, really concentrated armor and they tend to be really stable weapons platforms um, and they're good at hiding because they're much lower profile than mechs and then the faster stuff um, like wheeled vehicles and hovercrafts are for the most part faster than just about any mech in the game so they're not as maneuverable per se but they're faster for recon and capture and if you're decent enough you can sort of run circles around a mech blow its legs out and escape so the game feels pretty pretty well balanced. Aside from just the sort of conquest mode, it does have Solaris Arena, which is just straight up deathmatch. Um, and you, whoever has the highest score at the end of the time wins. And there's team and then free-for-all versions of that. And uh, it plays out the same way. Like you spawn in in your battle suit and you can pull up the menu and buy mechs and vehicles and go into the arena and fight until you die and then do it again. Um, although in the arena, the only way to earn points is actually by damaging other stuff. And if you get someone, especially in free for all, if you get someone who's just running away with it, pretty soon they'll be in like assault class stuff and you'll be in light and medium mechs and you'll just get wrecked every time they come up on you. So that one kind of sucks. It, it removes the ability to capture and assist your team, uh, to continue to sort of stay in the game. But I mean, it's, it's genuinely the best. MechWarrior game since 4, um, at least that I'm aware of. There could be some obscure spinoff or additional modding content or something that's come out that I don't know about, but it's it it's better than MechWarrior Online and MechWarrior 5 in every way, except for MechWarrior 5 is single player, and this is multiplayer only. There's been talk that I've seen in the community about adding a single player aspect to it, but it's just people who do it in their spare time as a hobby. And they've talked about the crazy amount of work that would be to add single player component to the game. It does suffer a little bit from being on such an old engine. Um, 
it doesn't like to run at more than 60 frames a second. Um, it can cause some weird issues if you don't limit that. Um, I had some weird issues trying to getting the resolution right. Uh, like it's got, you know, like you go and you look in the options menu and it's got a ton of resolutions that it says it supports, but for some reason it really struggled to do full screen 1080, 1920 by 1080 for me. Um, and borderless window just does not work at all. Um, so that, that's kind of annoying, but also the engine it's running on is like 10 or 11 years old doing something that it was not intended to do. I can, I can give it a lot of grace in that and all the small issues I've, I've encountered with it since it's, you know, a genuine free game with a shitload of content in it and a nice player base. I've just kind of overlooked. Um, so it's a good game. It's a very good game. Um, I'm trying to find a way to support the devs. Like, like they even say, like in their FAQ, like, you know, where can we donate to this? And they're like, we can't accept money as part of our contract to keep developing this. But I figure there's got to be some way to support them somewhere. And I just haven't found it yet. Maybe I haven't looked hard enough, but once I find it, I'm going to give them some money. Because, I mean, I played it for 13 or 14 hours over the weekend. Um, and... Uh, well, tail into last week and over the weekend. And I had a really good time with it. Aside from the very beginning when I was like, what the hell am I doing? Cause it, there's no like tutorial system for it. There's like a, a quick, a quick start guide you can read online. Um, you have to download Java in order to edit your controls, which is weird. Like you can't actually do that within the game. Cause it's like, oh, if you want to edit your controls, you have to open the configure tool, but then that needs Java. So it took a, a oh, minute to a get day that by right. Hard in a very long time. I know, but it it took a hot minute to get those right. But once I got that, that was fine. So, um, you know, I, I intend to keep playing it, um, and seeing how they how the development goes. It it just recently got an update that added some new stuff. Like that's when I found it. A, a YouTuber that I'm subscribed to, um, who t- does a ton of BattleTech like lore content, uh, did a let's play or a stream of it uh, a few weeks ago after the most recent update. I was like, oh yeah, I kind of forgot about this because I I knew about it years ago, but originally it was a pain in the ass to get installed, but it's just got a launcher you download now and it does everything just like a modern, a modern game does. So two thumbs up to MechWarrior Living Legends. If you're interested, you, you, you know, you said when I told you about it the other day that you weren't, because it's multiplayer only, you weren't super interested. And I, yeah. I totally get that. I wish it was single player. I mean, there hasn't been a, a good single player MechWarrior game since MechWarrior 4, but... Yeah, I was about to say, definitely not MechWarrior 5, right? No, definitely not. But, you know, I've, I've just kind of accepted, like, that this is the world that we live in. I've got Battletech for all of my single player needs. And if I really want to play a good single player MechWarrior game, I can always play MechWarrior 4 again. Or try and get MechWarrior 3 running properly. I have played MechWarrior 3, but it's been a long time. Um, so, anyways, that's the game that I played this week to talk about. Well, I guess that means it's my turn once again. Indeed. So, keeping up with my theme of 4s, I guess, this week, I played Streets of Rage 4. Pause for a laugh. Tee-hee. Yeah, because your, your brain is mushing. You completely missed that one before. So... Streets of Rage 4 is a sequel to, well, Streets of Rage 3. How about that? But it's actually 
set a decade after the previous game to make up for the time skip, where Mr. X, and which was the big bad of the first trilogy, was killed off for realsies. And his twins, the Y-Twins, eh? Eh? Uh, have raised a new crime syndicate, and it's up to a random bunch of guys to go beat the ever-loving shit out of uh, a bunch of random mooks. Now, it has a very old-school feel to it, and it made me realize that, boy, my reflexes are a lot worse, and... It's a lot more frustrating these days just because it is very old school. You don't have a lot of invincibility time. So there were some times that I just got juggled for about half my health bar just due to bad luck. And also it retains that whole, oh, I punched when I was slightly too high on the uh, screen because, you know, it's that a 2D perspective, but a 3D space. But that was a issue with the original Streets of Rage. Oh, well, I should say the original trilogy. I played one and two. I never actually played three. But the main draw of this one is just the sheer number of unlockables. As far as I could tell, the game is actually fairly short if you have a modicum of skill in this genre. I don't, so it would probably actually be a fairly decently long game for me. But... There's a progression where as you go through the game and build up your lifetime score, you start unlocking things like retro characters, different tiles, or different uh, essentially skins from uh, what it sounded like. And also as you progress through the story, you unlock more characters. So of, of uh, well, I keep wanting to say the original, but it was actually the second one that I played the most of. Uh, there were uh, Axel, uh, Blaze, and... Oh, damn it, I'm blanking on the third one. Um, Don't know. I played Streets of Rage 2 a little bit, but this type of game is is way outside of, of my oh, interests uh, in Wheelhouse. Okay, uh, actually I think this was from the first one. Yeah, the, yeah it was the first one, sorry. Uh, Blaze, Axel, and Adam Hunter. Well, you're actually the original, the first four characters you get. One of them is Adam Hunter's daughter, who is a a black uh, (laughs) guitar-wielding fast brawler. There's a cybernetic uh, tough guy. Once again, uh, Axel is kind of your kind of generic white guy with blonde hair. Decent at everything, but not outstanding. And Blaze is kind of actually overshadowed by uh, Cherry, the daughter of Hunter, of Adam Hunter, to uh, uh, her role of being the fast brawler. Now, I will say that it requires a little bit of more uh, knowledge of the characters because it, they don't outright tell you just which characters are good at what now because, you know, I guess they expect you to know that sort of thing, which is a bit annoying. But there's, you know, I mean, just playing it a bit, you get a feel for it but it's also one of those games that i think they expect you to play quite a bit to get a feel for the different versions or the different uh patterns because the first time you go through an area you know you're going to get your ass kicked because there's a couple character or a couple enemies that you come up against that uh, have oddball things like uh there's certain characters that will come up that uh, like you come up against the police which 
boy, talk about, you know, uh, uh, timely uh, thing. Uh, and you have to deal with them, but some of them have shields that you have to learn how to defeat. Uh, and once you uh, get past the shield, they no longer have it. It does no longer regenerates, but you have to be able to put out enough damage before it regenerates. And it's all about learning different patterns and going through with different characters to get a feel for it. I mean, overall, I do like it. And there's a lot of like hidden secrets and uh, uh, things you could try to. Uh, or, uh, there's a, there's a very high skill ceiling, I guess I should say, where the special system from uh, the second game, I believe it was where you build up a special meter, that is completely gone now. And instead, it is used with uh, your health as per, uh, as potential damage. And whenever you uh, attack an enemy while you have that temporary damage on you, you'll regenerate some of the health. But if you take a hit, it, it plus the damage that you would have taken anyway gets taken off. So it becomes a very uh, risk-reward system where you have to be able to strategically be able to use the different specials that the different characters have. Some of them have very uh, limited uh, special attacks, while others have a more uh, directional attack. So learning which characters fit your playstyle uh, works best overall, but also the specials are one of the few times that you actually get invincibility frames. <laughs> so be able to time that to be able to use it as a defensive weapon or defensive move is also uh, part of the uh, overall uh, challenge of the game, I guess I should say. And it's also neat to see uh, returning characters, uh, not just the random mooks, but one of the bosses from like the first game or actual first game returns as a mini boss in this one. There's a couple other times that I ran into characters that seem familiar, but I couldn't quite place that may have been from previous games. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it does have online multiplayer, and it feels like it's more geared towards multiplayer, honestly. Because sometimes they throw a lot of stuff at you, but it could just be, I suck at it. Could be. Is it trying to... St- it seems like it's trying to stick pretty hard to the old... Uh, its old game design choices. Maybe that's just... Well, they do change up a couple of- things. That The way that you progress through, there's actually checkpoints now. In the old games, it was essentially a arcade experience where... You have to get through the entire game with a set number of lives. Well, now each stage is treated like its own thing. And once you get past uh, the end of the stage, you hit a checkpoint. So if you fail, you go back to that. And you could uh, have uh, help by just adding extra lives or extra stars, which I'll get to the star moves eventually. But it also uh, does a division on the amount of score that you get. So if you throw in too much of a uh, assist, you don't build up enough of your score to make it so that your lifetime score moves very much. And the different stars, I should say, uh, all the characters also have a star move, which is uh, works sort of like the, uh, the old special attacks. Only, once again, it's not as powerful, but they're also... You're able to collect more of them in the environment sometimes you have to go out of your way to find them like a hidden barrel or there's a couple times that there was one time that i should say that i found a star that was in the middle of a poison uh, goop that 
you go in, take temporary damage, and then you have to try to build back up your health. Like, once again, I was talking about the risk-reward. Am I in a situation where am I able to go in and try to do that? Which I found very satisfying, actually. I'm not good at the game by a long shot, but they also have an option where you're able to turn off the friendly fire because that was one of the things. Uh, Console version of the original trilogy was that it was very easy to oop, accidentally punch your friend. <laughs> and oop, now they need to uh, go get health, right? You're able to yeah. disable that, but you get more score by leaving it enabled or going up to higher difficulties. And oh, and also they kind of put forward more of the actual storyline. So the original trilogy, you can piece together the story, but it's not in the forefront. This one, they have proper cutscenes in between all the levels, which is a nice change of pace. I mean, not something that should be unexpected at this point, but eh, right? Right. Cool. Not my not my sort of game, but I'm glad that overall you had a good time. Yeah, and I will say that uh, local multiplayer, I think, is where they really uh, want you to play because online you're only allowed two people, but on local co-op, it's four. But it could also be pretty uh, hectic because uh, the... Uh, you only originally have four characters and you're only going to be able to move as fast as your slowest character, honestly. And the big guy with cybernetic arms, he moves slow. Hurts like hell if when he punches, but slow moving. And I think this is one of those games that really uh, nudges you towards the faster characters. I would definitely play the big slow guy if <laughs> I was playing. Well, we can always try it out one uh, weekend. Our card games. It's on Game about. Pass? Yeah, it's on Game Pass. That's where I played it. Okay, gotcha. All right, um, does that wrap up, wrap you up? Yeah, that wraps me up. Uh, definitely worth checking out on Game Pass. Sweet. Well, then let's move on to our first news topic of the night. Uh, Take-Two kills KSP2 dev, pulling contract and attempting to poach talent. Yeah, this, um, is, we had yeah, this is from this... our cubeness. Indeed. Um, although I was, I had a, a cursory awareness of this when I like when Cube sent it to us, but yeah, I'd I mean, seen you know, it pop up, did a little I research. Yeah, I hadn't done a deep dive onto it just yet when Cube brought it up uh, onto our Discord. So thank you, Cube, for that. Oh, this sucks, huh? Yeah. Um. So the I guess Cliff Notes version. Um. I mean, we've got several. YouTube videos that explain it, some Including articles Jim that go into Sterling, it. Son. Yeah. But the sort of the Cliff Notes version is that back in December of well, okay. So the dev the the studio that, that was developing it, and then Take Two, which ha- was contracting the studio to develop KSP two, were having some contract negotiations. Um due to uh mostly them have to postpone it because of the COVIDs. Um, and so they were having these contract negotiations. Take two apparently didn't like what was going on. Um, basically pulled the contract, which was the only contract that this company had pulled the contract and behind the scenes messaged on, um, LinkedIn. Ah, crap. LinkedIn. Thank you. On LinkedIn, all of the, the people who worked, for the company developing KSP2 and said, hey, come work for us. And then they created a new development studio called Intercept Studio, which, on the nose there, 
Um, and now that studio is developing, or it is the one that has been developing KSP2 since sometime early this year. But um, Jim bothered to tell Star Theory this. Right. And so then Star Theory... Um, Star Theory didn't know about this until they tried to poach talent. And then started... Because up until this point, from everything I've been hearing, they were still in the process of negotiation. And the... the okay. Here is where things get dickish. The big sticking point was royalties, and also Take Two wanted to buy them out, and they didn't want to get bought out. Yeah, they didn't want to sell. So Take Two basically killed this company because that it was their only contract that they had. Like they were all hands on deck making KSP two, and then pulled the contract out from underneath them, poached away a lot of their talent, somewhere around a third of their talent initially. Yeah, Yeah, they tried to stay uh, on board or tried to stay afloat and was trying to, uh, uh, according to another one of the the videos, I think it was the Mike Lowton one, which was the one that Cuba originally sent us. He, uh, uh, I think it was that one, uh, said that they were trying to quickly make some game demos and uh, to try to get another contract real quick. But because of the COVIDs, all the uh, developer conferences that they would have been able to try to pitch something to other publishers to try and stay afloat uh, never happened. And they couldn't really do that uh, remotely because it just gets lost in all the, you know, the noise. Plus several of their project leads immediately jumped ship. I mean, I can't really blame them for jumping ship at this point because, yeah. you know, if you, you hear, Oh crap, the one thing that my company is uh, working on is suddenly no longer going to be a thing. Gotta go, right? I can't blame them, especially with how things are a little crazy right now. Yeah, and double especially if they've got, you know, families or they themselves are, you know, have like big debts or something like that. Like, 100%, I get it. You know, you gotta go where the money's at. And I mean, you know, whenever you get a notification from from Take Two, which is one of the biggest um, publishing companies in the game industry, because you know they are the parent company for like Rockstar and Two K and a, a couple others. It's like you know that that's their parent company. So if you're getting getting poached by them, the writing is on the wall. Um, and not that you can't resist that sort of thing. You know, it 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 has been done before. Um, but you know, it's a lot easier to just be like, you know what? I'm going to go with this. Cause this is probably going to be better for me in the long run, even if it sucks now, but that's the cliff notes version. I mean, there's, you know, we've got a few videos lit linked and some actual articles, um, yeah. to go read. I would say the most, and I'm sh- uh, in, uh, uh, the most involved one is probably young. Yeah. Just because he goes pretty deep into it. Yeah. And he goes and he talks about another, Similar experience that another dev had with EA, um, but they kind of took on EA and, and won, in a sense. Like, I mean, EA nearly bankrupted them, but, you know, they kind of went through... They had, had done some clever legalese with the contract mm-hmm. um, and had managed to protect a bunch of their assets so that EA couldn't take them. Um, and so they had their... Well, when I say assets, it, it says technology. Like, in, in the article that he read, it was, like, technology. So I assume that's, like, specific, like, either game engine stuff or um, something that could be uh, copyright or patentable. Mm-hmm. I'm not a hundred percent sure. Like it, it doesn't go into it there, but 
Anyways, he did some clever legalese to protect himself from them coming and essentially stealing his work that he'd already done. Yeah, but uh, if it's the one I think you're referring to, he set up a, a third-party company that he licensed his own tech from. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's the one. And it's kind of bullshit that you actually have to do that to protect your own stuff, huh? Yeah. Well, you, you might say that the system that we have is totally fucking broken. Well, multiple... Uh, uh, places, huh? Indeed, it's it's broken in more places than it's than it's fine. But you know, I I'm, I have a couple of mixed feelings. Like at the top, like fuck them, uh, as in um, take two, fuck them, and this whole thing, because basically, at least the way that I see this is that they didn't get what they wanted in the initial negotiation or the renegotiation or, or whatever. Like, I'm sure it's more complicated than, than we will ever know, um, you know, from a, a legal and a contractual and a negotiating standpoint. But in essence, they didn't get what they wanted. So they took all the balls and threw them in a bonfire and then went home. Mm-hmm. And, well, and then fuck them. No, they actually just took all the balls, put them in their own uh, cage and took the cage, right? Yeah. And fuck them for that shit. You've got, I think the that company is valued at like seventeen billion dollars or something like that. Mm-hmm. Like fuck you, right? I mean, you don't get to be that big I mean, without they, being I mean, a total fucking asshole. They are literally printing money with GTA. Yeah. So you know, fuck them. Part of my response initially was like, well, I'm never playing another one of their games ever again. At least not buying it. I'll you know ride the pirate train as far as it goes. But then I got to thinking like about how many. Yeah you know, companies that they own and what that would actually look like. And, like, I don't want to support them, but it's like, man, that's a lot of stuff to basically be avoiding. And I think, th- I mean, that's how they get you. Uh-huh. You know, Jim Sterling kind of says this, like, he, you know, in his video, he's like, you know, these companies do this and then just hope that, or I- expect, for the most part, rightfully, that people just don't care or all they want is the game and they're not interested in, like, the stuff behind it, or they're not willing to go through what it takes to actually, you know, take a stand against this kind of stuff. And, like, 100%, I get that. But it's more the fact that you can't stay away from it, because just how many there are, right? Yeah. I mean, you you know, you, you could. It would be a lot of energy invested to check every game to see if it's owned or, you know, developed by... uh you know, a studio that is being published by Take-Two or owned by Take-Two. Well, let's put it this way. Okay, so... And that stuff's not always easy to track down, either. I mean, I'm sitting here uh, on Wikipedia, all right? So, so Bioshock, Borderlands, Civilization, uh, because we're talking published as well, Uh, Firaxis, GTA, Max Payne, Red Dead, XCOM, uh, the 2K Sports Games... Uh, NBA, uh, the Major League Baseball games up till 2013. I mean, it's just a lot, right? Yeah. And then I thought, I thought to myself, well, I just won't buy KSP2. I'll just pirate it. But that doesn't help things. But yeah, but that doesn't actually help things. So I don't know. I have some mixed feelings on that front. Like at the top, like I said, fuck them and everything about this whole process. But... You know, at my actual response to it in in practice in action is uh, a lot more complex. Mm-hmm. I mean, let's put it this way. Okay, so I'm trying to find 
a uh, list of upcoming games, which I'm not finding a well formatted. Just put it this way. Okay, so developers, 2K, Private Division, Rockstar, Social Point. I mean, it just goes on and on and on, huh? Yeah. I mean, people talk about EA being, you know, the the evil overlords, but I take two. I mean, a, uh, yeah, much better. I mean, there, no, I mean, it's two sides of an evil coin, right? Indeed, two evil signs of or sides of a very evil coin, and then there's like a whole coin pouch of other evil companies or just terrible uh, 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 practices. You know what the fuck, right? Yeah. I mean, I, so. I I was really, really excited about this, and now I'm kind of, well, I was going to buy it on release. Now, no, I'm going at least deep sale. So that also takes it out of Game Club for quite a while. Yeah, because I, I suspect it'll be a year or so, you know, a year at least before it goes on a, that's a, a fairly that's deep of discount. Course assuming that we don't see Epic Exclusive now as well. Epic Exclusive, yeah. Then it'll be two years. Because, yeah, right? Yeah. Um, I've picked up a few free games on Epic recently. They were doing like one or maybe it was two free games a week mm-hmm. during their sale. Yeah, I still refuse. I have more games I need right now. Actually, not a lot more, but still. <laughs> way, way more games. Um, That would be a good segue, but we've got the news topics flipped, so... Let's uh, let's do a bad a bad segue and go talk about Destiny Two hey, removing uh, its year yeah. one content. Yeah, instead of getting content, removing content. So, oh, glad I never really got too invested in Destiny Two and kind of just fell off it when it was kind of meh. Yeah, it, it, what Destiny Two is doing, or what uh, Bungie is doing is basically they're th- they're throwing their hands up and saying destiny 2 is too bloated we can't handle it all we're going to use a system where we're going to rotate content in and out also, based on its popularity also known as the disney system yeah the disney vault model and they specifically call it the vault um yeah well well let's just put it this way uh the first one tldr Destiny 2 is too large to effectively update and maintain the size and complexity of the game, also contributing to more bugs and less innovation. Okay, fine, but you're removing a good chunk of content with this upcoming expansion, so the expansion is actually removing a net positive of content, right? The expansion is a reduction. Now, now, don't get me wrong, I get this, alright? I do understand at least part of where they're coming from. Because part of this is likely console limitation and possibly cross-play, all right? Or cross-saves, cross, uh, all right? Because I think they have it on there. But also, another game that I played that suffers from this is Warframe, where they'll have systems that they just will put in, have a good chunk of uh, production on, and just leave unfinished and continue on. But... That's not what they're doing here. They're cutting out large swaths of content. It's not saying, okay, well, this particular type of mission or this particular type of area is unpopular, so we're going to remove that for to focus on other places. They're talking about instead of building a Destiny 3 and leaving Destiny 2 behind each year, we're going to cycle older, less actively played content out of the live game into what we're calling the Destiny Content Vault. 
This will allow us to add and support Destiny 2 for years, including the three annual update expansions we announced today, starting with Beyond Light this fall. I mean, this just sounds like that eventually the free-to-play experience is going to be streamlined to just some very, very, very small areas. And also they talk about how one of the expansion areas is unvaulted. So are they putting something into the vault and then immediately unvaulting it for the expansion? Yeah, it says they're unvaulting the Cosmodrome, which was in Destiny 1. I don't know if it's in Destiny 2. Please, can't we get beyond the Cosmodrome? (laughs) But I mean, the Cosmodrome is like the opening area for the first Destiny. um, And then you swing back around to it for in the end game for some extra goodies and like some up difficulty uh, strikes and raids. Or no, strikes. Because, yeah, the Vault of Glass was the only raid I participated in from the first Destiny. And that was not in the Cosmodrome. But anyways, yeah, it, it says here on the list. But it, it looks like they're putting based all all of Destiny 1's stuff into the Vault. Um, and then they'll dust then, it off every so often and uh, put yeah. it back out. I mean, I do understand wanting to streamline the game, especially a game that's been out for a while. But damn, right? Yeah, um, it looks like that there is, it, and it's not like this is a, a free, the free-to-play players have this stuff locked away, and if you pay to play, then you get everything. Like, no, it's all being locked away, which on the one hand, I kind of, like, appreciate that, because it doesn't, I mean, you know, they could fuck it up at any time, but it doesn't feel like a, like a bullshit, like, money or cash grab mm-hmm. in some way. Um, it feels like they really feel like this is a problem, and it's going to fix it. But I don't, I don't know. I don't know if this is the right way to go with it. Cause in, in, down in the actual thing, uh, after the TLDR, which they put at the top, I appreciate that. Um, they go into pretty big depth about like how many missions they have and all the different stuff. Um, and they go on to say like the, the game is 115 gigabytes if you want to download it. And I, you know, I, I see that as being an issue for a lot of people. Um, especially on consoles where that you're a lot more restricted on the storage space that you have. Like, you know, you can change out with the PS4, you can pretty easily change out the storage in it. Um, but it's limited to, uh, PCI 2 or no, not PCI 2, SATA 2, um, which is a, a limited speed of like, I think 115 megabytes per second or megabits per second. No, it's megabytes. 115 or 120 megabytes per second um, sequential read, which it's probably not doing, especially if you're using an actual hard drive. And that means you get no benefit for an SSD. The Xbox One can use an external hard drive or SSD over USB 3, which would help with that. But, I mean, that's kind of the... I, I would say that's where the majority of their player base is, is on console and so they, they're wanting to, I assume, try and streamline the experience as much as possible for console players. And honestly, I don't know even how many people actually would change out the storage on the PS4 or use an external drive for the Xbox. I, I, I don't know how many people actually do that. Well, uh, I was just double-checking the numbers. Uh, Destiny 2 Steam, it's number four right now. On Steam? Yes. So that's what? A hundred and twenty-five thousand four hundred sixty-two players currently, with a peak of one hundred seventy-two thousand one hundred nine players today. One hundred nine or one hundred nine thousand. One hundred seventy-two thousand. 
Okay. So, okay, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe their biggest player base is on PC, which makes this a little more baffling to me. Um, I mean, most people who who play PC games, at least in my experience, or that I know of, have got it at the very least, like a 500 gig uh, gaming, you know, storage solution for games. You know, we're certainly more on the more enthusiast end with, you know, it, me having like multiple terabytes of, of SSD storage for games now. But, you know, a, a lot of people are using like a one or a two terabyte hard disk with a, an SSD boot drive. Yeah, I have. But from a size four, perspective, yeah, and even... Do what? I have four terabytes of uh, storage with, uh, I think, a quarter terabyte of uh, uh, SSD. Right. So, I don't know. I mean, you know, sequential read speeds off of a hard disk, even with uh, SATA 3, are still pretty slow, but... Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if that's the actual problem they're trying to solve, or if it truly is like, this is too much for us to handle, we're going to shelve parts of it so that we don't have to deal with it. I think it might be a little bit of that, but also maybe just console limitations. Yeah. Because they specifically talk about the install size, and that would be a more of a problem on console than it would be on PC. Yeah. Especially people using console from the beginning of the console cycles. Because I know the Xbox One only came with up to a 500 gigabyte hard drive. I don't know about the PS4, but I would assume that it's about the same. Um, later models come with a terabyte or two terabytes by default. But, you know, if you bought an Xbox anywhere before, or an Xbox or a PS4 anywhere before like 2017, 2018, you're going to be stuck with those limitations. I mean, it just it just seems like it's just a net loss, really. I mean... This is why game archivists hate <laughs> games as a service because you know this is a good chunk of a game that's just going to be gone potentially forever because if it's, there's a section that just is not popular or the developers have an issue with, it may not just come out ever again. Yeah, and because everything's on all online, like there's no way that that the players. Well, I'm sure there's a way, but no way for the average player to create an archive or a backup or a way to access it otherwise and honestly with them talking so much about uh file sizes and everything it makes me think just how much of this is poor compression possibly because uh, wasn't it titanfall that had something like 50 gigs of wave files of just all the uh voice lines of the game the original Titanfall. Um, I think I think it was the install size was fifty gigs, but like a huge chunk of that was uncompressed audio. I I know what you're talking about. I can't remember the the specifics, but it, it was a crazy amount of uncompressed audio. Uh, just double checking. Let's see. Uh, yeah, all the voices were WAV files, but I don't see a file size for this. Uh, thirty five gigs. Sorry, thirty five gigs of WAV files because they could right. Yeah. So part of me wonders just how much of this would be, uh, yeah, could be solved just by them doing a little bit better with you know, their uh, compression and uh, playing it smart. And, oh man, I forgot that bullshit excuse. Talking about how Titanfall simply needs a lot of CPU time for game logic. The developers just simply couldn't spare the CPU cycles needed for the audio decode. Fuck you. I mean, that makes sense when you look at console limitations from 
the because they were still having to develop. I, I believe Titanfall One came out on Xbox 360, Xbox One, PS3, and PS4. I mean, you're right, fuck them, but that kind of makes sense if that's right because they're trying to develop a game for even weaker hardware. Yeah, but audio decode isn't that intensive. Yeah, but if you're fighting for every single last, uh, you know, compute cycle, what's the actual phrase for it? Are the the thing pipe? No, there's another phrase that is a a more accurate representation of how much work a CPU can actually do that means something that isn't like gigahertz, because that's kind of a a meaningless measurement. Oh, I know, how, like. <laughs> oh, yeah. oh, no, wait. I watched the Back to the Future series again recently. Sorry. Never mind. But it, it's, it, you know, saying a processor is X number of gigahertz compared to another processor is kind of meaningless because it's kind of like the whole, like, teraflops thing or, or you know, floating point operations that a, a graphics card can do. Were you uh, looking for instruction? Maybe. It's, it's how many IOPS, I think is what it is. Something... It, it's like the amount of operations that it can perform per per second. Yeah, IOPS, input-output operations per second. And that's how much actual work a CPU can, or a processor can do. Or, well, it, it, like something that can compute can do, because it can be applied to different stuff. But it's a more accurate representation of how powerful a CPU can be. Because, you know, you might be able to only get, you know, and this is like a stupid low number. I'm just saying this for example. Like, you might only be able to get like a thousand IOPS out of one processor at, you know, five gigahertz versus a hundred thousand out of another. And that's, I mean, that's teeny tiny. Like, we're in like the billions, like millions to billions of IOPS for for stuff now. I'm just, you know, easy example. So. I really think it was anyways. just a bullshit excuse and they were looking for uh Way to fill up uh, disk space. Fair play. Fair play. Um, you know, I'm definitely not going to just like buy it hook, line, and sinker, but I could see it as a potential issue that, you know, yeah, you could probably fix it with a little bit more work and time and effort, but, you know, why do it if you don't have to kind of thing? So being lazy. Or it's a, a case of not their job. Yeah. You know. It's not their job to optimize it. They just need to get it working, and they don't want to touch it. Right, or what sort of... they're under that time crunch. Yeah, I was going to say, you know, what sort of internal metrics are they using to measure it? Like, is this worth it to optimize this versus how much time it's going to cost us to do it? At the end of the day, all this stuff is a business, Mm -hmm. you know, and I'm not condoning shitty business practices, but, you know... At the end of the day, money drives most decisions. Yep. Pretty damn much. So, shall we talk about uh, just that in the next one? Uh, Yeah, sure. So, this is uh, probably going to come out a little bit cynically. <laughs> but it does. So, what do you expect, right? Indeed. So, gaming companies are actually trying to take action in these troubled times. So, yeah. Uh, do you want to handle this one a little bit more tactfully than I would? <laughs> well, I mean, you know, the world is, is on fire. Um, America is doubly on fire between, you know, an ongoing global pandemic, which in some places is getting better and some places is getting worse. Um, America is full of riots and protests right now that, to some extent, are spreading to other places in the world um, about racial inequality. Um, there has been 
in the United States in particular, a quite a long history of police brutality, particularly against people of color. Um, and I think that the world or the country has just kind of hit a breaking point where that it's sort of the perfect storm of events that have led to about two weeks of consistent protests and in certain places riots about all of this. And there have been companies and organizations all over basically making statements. Uh, pretty much the same really, statement. Huh? Pretty much the same statement over and over again. Yeah. Essentially, um, you know, some version of we recognize that these are trying times and we want to stand with people and, you know, with the people of color, with the black people in our community and in our company. And we won't stand for racism, racism, bad. And it's, you know, something like that. I'm being a little bit uh, mocking of it because well, the way that com- it's so disingenuous, the way that it comes across. Well, the, um, uh, have I, you watched we- this week's Jim Quisition? Yes, I have. Okay. Uh, it's, Kind of the same thing with Pride Month, where the companies all care about gay pride up until June 30th. <laughs> right? Right. Or up until they have to do something or, uh, more than that, just post about uh, it on social media. Or, yeah, if yeah, it's actually acceptable in that territory. Because, uh, yeah, some of these companies don't update the profiles that are in uh, yeah Russian. Yeah. Or other places in the world that... Yeah, they're actively being oppressed. Instead, it's whenever it's a financial gain, because that is... Yeah, the companies solely exist to make money. That's not good. That's not evil. It's how they go about it that is that. Right. But so, you know, in the midst of, I don't know, hundreds of, of companies and organizations, possibly more, essentially throwing some white text on a black background Mm -hmm. saying we support the Black Lives Matter movement and then just sort of, you know, going on with their normal business. Um, We have a couple of examples of some companies doing something or at least trying to do something else, and we wanted to highlight that. Um, Which one do you want to talk about first? Well, let's just go ahead and do the quick one that honestly seems like it's just... uh a uh, feel-good gesture that honestly not expecting a lot. So Infinity Ward announces that they'll have new anti-racism measures using bands, report systems, name filters, and have content monitoring for their games. Don't really expect a lot out of this, honestly. I mean, it is Infinity Ward, but uh, first-person shooters are notorious on just how toxic they are. Yeah, the toxic community and language and things being used there. Um, I mean, it's, it's just like the link that we have just goes to a tweet. Yeah. Um, it, you know, it, it says there's no place for racist content in our games. This is an effort we began with launch and we need to do a better job. We're issuing thousands of daily bans of racist and hate oriented names, but we know we have to do more and we are. And then there's a list. Uh, they're adding additional resources to monitor and ID racist content, adding additional in-game reporting systems, increase the number of bans by hour adding filters and greater restrictions on name changes, evaluating in-game improvements to make it easier to report offenses, increasing permanent bans to root out repeat offenders. We apologize to our players. This is our commitment to you, our fans. Thank you. Um, so, I mean, I think in principle, this is a good thing. You, you always kind of run into the argument of like, oh, is this censorship? What's going to happen if someone gets caught up that didn't actually 
do something bad. And that's fair. You know, I, I for as far as censorship goes, that's a, a whole other thing that I don't, I don't think that we have the time to get into right <laughs> yeah. now, especially, especially in the United States where the, the idea of like free speech and most people don't actually understand what free speech really is like the, yeah, the first amendment. Yeah, there's the difference between free speech and free from repercussions as well that people don't seem yes. to understand. The uh, it's once again uh, the big example I always hear is yelling fire in a, a crowded theater. Well, first of all, social fucking distancing. Why are you in a crowded theater? <laughs> right. But okay. Um, uh, but jokes in, aside, in essence, uh, yes, in, you in essence, freedom. Oh. Yes, you are free to say that. However, you're going to suffer the repercussions of your actions. Right. What it boils down to in America, at least, I you know, can't speak to other countries. Um, but you, know, you, can, you can say anything that you want. And the government, I, although I don't, I don't believe this anymore, but the government promises to not, you know, throw you in jail or directly, like, come at you if you say something that's like, you know, fuck the president, he sucks big dicks. Like, you can say that with, you know, do the First Amendment of freedom of speech. But that doesn't mean that you won't receive repercussions in other ways. If I walk into, I don't know, a bar full of neo-Nazis and say, fuck Donald Trump, he sucks fascist dicks, then, you know, there's nothing stopping those people from beating the hell out of me, or worse. You know, like that freedom of speech doesn't protect me from those consequences. And companies are not government entities um, for the most part. Uh, you know, there's a, a line that can get well, blurry well, there well, as well. well I, I hear that there's a resort in Florida that really blurring that line. Touche. Um, but, you know, companies are not uh, government agencies. And so they have the capability to sort of police this on their own. Um, and they can use whatever guidelines that they want. Now, if you want to call it censorship, sure. Um, I, I could actually agree with that, that it's censorship, but it's censorship of hate speech, and I don't have a problem with that. And then as far as the case of, like, someone saying, like, oh, well, what if it gets someone who's innocent? I mean, you know, fair enough. Um, if someone truly is innocent, then, you know, plead your case with the company and have someone review it. You know, certain companies are better at that than others, but, I mean, it's, you know, not impossible to do, so... If you truly are innocent, then just plead your case and have it looked into, and you should be fine. Yeah, the thing is, people are afraid that it's going to cause a hassle. <laughs> but which would you rather hear? Uh, some uh, 12-year-old that has just learned how to curse for the first time and found that the N-word really triggers people? Or... Yo, the possibility of that zero 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 one percent chance that you may have to contact customer support, right? Right. Um, and you know, I I would like the other one. The, it's it's always the thing is is that the people, the organizations who are in power, it's their responsibility to make sure that those who are not are protected. And in this situation, in this case, you know, this specific instance. Um, oh, sorry about that. There's a bucket. Oh, you're to, fine. Uh, edit out. Yeah. In this situation, though, Infinity Ward is the one who's in power, and it's their job to do the best that they can to protect those who don't have power. Like that's that's the way that these systems work. Like we, you know, 
the people and trust that those who have the power over us are going to use it responsibly and fairly. And that's what gives their power legitimacy. And this is them trying to do that, or at least saying they're going to try to do it. And that's more than I've seen from anyone else who's just saying, like, we support you. I mean, racism bad. It just feels so cynical after a while, doesn't it? The same essentially copy pasted message. I mean, it was the same way with the COVID uh, lockdown. Hearing, well, we care about the customer. We're going, I mean, that should be a given, right? Yeah, that's like, to me, it's like, well, that's the bare minimum that you should do to be a successful business. Like, care about the customer. You know, I suppose that could mean different things to different people based on your interpretation. But, you know, at least, like, give a shit and try and and provide good enough service that people want to come back. And protect your to you. goddamn workers, right? Yeah. Um, although we are heading into different territory with that. Yeah. So. Uh, what? Us uh, get off track? Never. <laughs> we'd never do that. So, yeah. Um. There's that part. You know, I hope that they're sincere. I hope that they're genuine. I hope that they're really going to try. Only time will tell. I'm, you know, pretty much as cynical as you are. I don't trust Infinity Ward. Yes, the transformation is complete. But, you know, I'm I'm always up for being proven wrong about stuff like that. So I hope they actually really do something. And this isn't just PR posturing. Yeah. So, shall we go to the other one for this? The really, yes. really, really interesting one. So Yeah. So, Itch.io put out... Uh, I think this is the first bundle out there f- to support uh, the uh, just uh, the NAACP Legal Defense uh, Educational Fund. Uh, oh, sorry. Legal Defense and Educational Fund and the Community Bail Fund for yeah, the protesters because... The protesters have been kind of getting uh, hammered on. Uh, so they put out a small bundle on HIO. <laughs> yeah, it's really small. Um, you know, it's got a few games in it. Uh, yeah, uh, only, let's see. Where's the current? Uh, 1,427 items. Yep. I mean, holy shit. Yeah. And there is a lot 12... of filler on this, I will admit. Because they pretty much up it up say, okay, people, if you want to join this, go for it. Uh, all the proceeds are going to those two uh, funds divided 50-50. And people jumped on it big time. So, yeah. And there's some big ones on here. There's some really good uh, games. There's Overland. There's a Mortician's Tale looked really interesting. I'm just on the front page. Gladia bots, yeah, which I've talked about before. Normal Lust Phone 1 and 2 are on mm-hmm. there. Um, nuclear there's Throne. There's a ton. Yeah, Nuclear Throne. Um, there's a ton of, like, tabletop type stuff, like print and play games uh, that have been on there. Quadrological Cowboy. Um, there's a number of, like, game development tools that I've seen mm-hmm. on here as I've poked through the list. Um uh, some shorter visual novels. Some longer visual novels. Yeah. Uh, Headliner, which I've talked about previously on the podcast, I, I guess over a year ago. Um, and what I think is an exp- expansion for that. Um, you know, there's there's a lot of variety here. And, and you're right, there's a lot of filler. But, I mean, we just named 
15 or 20 things maybe mm-hmm. that we've you know are interested in and and if you go on steam like some of those games are more than what you can get the bundle for like you can pay anything that you want up above the minimum but i mean the minimum to get right now just north of 1250 games is five bucks um i mean that's a huge steal like a huge bargain even if only one percent of those games are good that's still what a hundred and 40, uh, 140 something games. Yeah. 140 games, something like that. And, uh, you know, there's several on there that, that I have actually, like, well, you know, well, up uh, towards well, the top. Would be of, 10%. Oh, you're right. So it would be like 14 games. But still, like 14 <laughs> good games. Yeah, you're right. My math I, is way off. I, I sat there and thought, yeah, wait a damn minute here. <laughs> no, that's fair. But, I mean, okay, 14 games, like, 14 good games for 5 bucks is still a really good bargain. And I will say and then if that there's an, uh, the, it doesn't immediately all go to your library. You're given a essentially a, a unique URL that has all the things in, until you go to download something. It's, then it's added to your library. Yeah. Um, and it's, I, and I discovered that, while we were talking. And they're doing that so that it doesn't absolutely flood your itch.io library because... This was a site, or is a site that's more filled with uh, more niche titles, and they realize that not everybody's going to want all fourteen hundred plus uh, things in their library. So you're able to pick and choose a little bit easier, but you still have access to everything. Yeah, itch has got this thing called cat collections that you can create and add games to mm-hmm. it, um, and so I started using that earlier while we were talking and have been adding things to collections and I've got a hundred and five things spread across these collections that are basically just look interesting to me. Um, but well, I definitely have, you know, one like, for a game club that I'm setting aside interesting looking games to talk to you about. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's what this list is. It's, um, everything that looks interesting I'm going to put in the list and then I'm going to go through and look in more detail at this stuff that did look interesting yeah. and see if it actually remains that way. Yeah, our powwow for when we uh, clean up the uh, game club list and add new stuff in the Steam sale is going to be quite the adventure, huh? It's, it's going to take hours. <laughs> um, A bit but anyways, three, there's another good one. Yeah, but uh, anyways, you know, there are... Several that I've seen at just taking like a glance, like I haven't gone through the whole list, but just taking a glance that, you know, I would buy, like they're on my wish list on Steam in, in like the actual curated portion that are towards the top. And I'm always just looking for like a really good sale on them that I would pay, you know, a few dollars for four or five dollars for them individually on Steam. And so I just picked up all of those and then a whole bunch of other stuff too. So, and this is kind of like, kind of like the the thing with game pass it's like you have all this stuff so something that i might not necessarily spend any money on at all is there to check out and there's probably a lot of hidden gems in all of this please leave gem out of this (laughs) there i mean there's also probably a lot of shit too and then like a lot of odd stuff like um there's several asset packs as well yeah, but there's, like, some stuff in there that's really just for people like me, like the gay dragon dating sim, and what was the other one? Furries and something, and bears, which is another, like, anthropomorphic uh, animal 
dating sim. Furries and scalies and bears, oh my, the ultimate edition. <laughs> yeah. But then there's other cute things, like the one I sent you, Heartful Trash, which is a print-and-play tabletop game. Yeah. About two raccoons on a date. Um, But, you know, there's there's stuff in there that, they're like, there's horror games, there's puzzle games, there's... I've seen a couple of, like, Forex uh, strategy games. Um, just all kinds of stuff. So... And they, they've got a goal listed on their, like, homepage of $5 million to donate. Mm-hmm. And when I looked at it earlier, it was somewhere around the $3.5 million mark. Um, yeah, it's $3,573,073 uh, $3, uh, $3, $3, $3, $3, $3, $3, $3, $3, $3, $3, $3, $3, $3, $3, $3, $3, $3, $3, $3, $3, $3, $3, $3, $3, $3, $3, $3, $3, $3, $3, $3, $
Probably ever. And for, good, well, and for a very good cause as well. Yeah. Here it is. Hot Gay Bro Dragons. I'll be I'll be playing that for, for next week, possibly. And there's also some very appropriate stuff like Headliner, right? Yeah. I mean, it's just one of those things. For... You, uh, current times. I'm just yeah. saying here. During these uncertain times. I'm just scrolling, scrolling, scrolling. It never ends. Indeed. There's some definitely um, yeah, asset flips that wouldn't be, I wouldn't have otherwise. But, eh, well worth it though. And like I said, it's good to see companies actually trying to make a difference instead of putting out, you know, some white text on black background, right? Or blacking out their icons. Now, now the question is, uh, if they're blacking out the icons, what happens to their, you know, uh, marketing strategy for gay pride month or, or, or for pride month? <laughs> <laughs> right? That's interesting. Do they alternate back and forth? Oh, simple. It's a rainbow that's uh, in a dark room. Ah, yes. That makes sense. Oh, here's one. Not the robots. That is... What is this? What is this? Is this a tabletop game? Moonlight on Roseville Beach. Queer guide for amateur sleuths. (laughs) Right. I don't know if this is just like a book or if it's a tabletop thing. Oh, okay. This is uh, like an... The pre-made adventure or whatever for something called Dark Streets and Darker Secrets. I don't know what that is. Uh, it's a tabletop, a horror-themed tabletop RPG. Yeah, we're cool. going to have a fun time. I, I mean, <laughs> there's also soundtracks. There's the Super Meat Boy uh, a digital special edition soundtrack. <laughs> oh, I didn't see that. Uh, it's pretty far down, actually. Okay. Yeah, I'm just, you know... Like you were doing, I guess, just going through and while we were talking and taking a quick look at things. So this, oh, this is an, another interesting looking tabletop thing. Come home. It's about, uh, it's a three player, t- specifically a three player tabletop RPG about astronauts trying to make it back home. Okay. This is actually an interesting one. Uh, hardcoregaming101.net. Uh, presents the guide to classic graphic adventures. It's a book, uh, 772 pages covering 300 games, including a number of interviews with classic game developers. Ooh, this could be, I'm going to have to check this out, but this could be something I could use for therapy. It's called my brain is a stick of butter. <laughs> it's, a, it's a solo tabletop RPG about living with ADHD and how to balance life tasks. Uh, question. Salted or unsalted? Yeah. And are we talking uh, about uh, store brand or some artisanal, uh, you know, uh, hand churned uh, Amish butter here? Unsalted store brand. Uh, still makes uh, delicious brownies if uh, used the right way. Oh, here's that one I mentioned earlier: Long Night in the Mech Bay, a two-player tabletop RPG about relationships reforged in combat. Um, but yeah. Anyways, I should we should stop scrolling through this. Yeah, because we have our discovery queue coming up anyway, right? Indeed, we have enough time to do a quick discovery queue. But yeah, we're not quite there yet because if you wish to contribute to the show, you could do so vglpodcast at gmail.com. You could tweet us vglpodcast or just leave something in the Discord, which you can find a link to that over on our uh, website vglpodcast.podbean.com So, uh, doobly-doo, 
discovery queue? Indeed. And once again, I have my discovery queue up and running, and I have one immediately. So, Sea of Thieves wasn't my cup of tea, but, and here's the big but, and I cannot lie, uh, it is seeing a massive player increase via Steam. I don't get it, especially at a $40 price point, but it is seeing a sort of a renaissance of players. See, they are just double checking my number. Uh, they hit a peak of 42,000 players, and that's not counting uh, the crossplay via consoles and uh, Game Pass. So, damn, right? And, see, and according to what I've heard, they're actually trending upwards. So, yeah, not my thing, but eh, okay. Right. You up? So, yeah. Um, I got the Wonderful 101 Remaster. Um, so the Wonderful 101 is an interesting superhero game that originally released on the Wii U. Um, and you essentially go through building up a huge collection of superheroes, 101, that you all string, that all get strung together to perform combo moves and do interesting abilities. Um, it, it, I, I've played it, um, a bit on Wii U, and it feels sort of like Pikmin if they took and added, like, superpowers to all of the little, the little dudes that the follow picks. around the Pikmin. Or, yeah, the picks. I don't know. Um, you know. Actually, I didn't play that much of Pikmin. Um, but it's, it's a really interesting game. I, I don't know how well it'll do without the ability to use a touchscreen, because the the Wii U tablet controller thing, um, you could use the stylus to draw on the touchscreen, and that was part of how you did certain combo moves. Like, you would draw stuff on the screen, and the heroes would get into the correct formation and do the combo move um, when needed. So I don't know how that's going to play out. I guess you could... Because um, it, it was like, you, you could pause to do it, so you could possibly just do it with the mouse... Um, although that would, I think, be a little clunkier with the stylus. But regardless, this was a, a, a game that was, I thought, really good, but woefully um, under, you know, underrated, underplayed, just because it released on the Wii U, and as far as I know, nothing else up until now. So I'm looking forward to this, actually. I probably will pick this up. Um, even at $40, it's cheaper than you can get the Wonderful 101 now, because it's kind of a rarity, so getting a physical copy of it most of the time, you're paying fifty or sixty bucks. Okay. So, Plus the oh, cost sorry. of a Wii U. Jump the gun there. Yeah, no, you're good. I'm done though. So go ahead. I got uh, a game uh, that it's a little bit surprising if it was a year ago, but EA has come crawling back. So Mirror's Edge Catalyst, the sequels to Mirror Edge. From what I recall, it wasn't uh, reviewed as well as the original Mirror's Edge. Uh, I mean, it's still a decent enough game, but uh, I think Mirror's Edge was kind of lightning in the bottle, right? Yeah, I think so. Um, I actually never played the second Mirror's Me Edge either. game. I only played the first one and had some severe uh, tearing issues. Uh, just uh, I, I couldn't get it running right. It just uh, had some severe frame tearing and even turning on... Uh, V-Sync just never got it working right. But we could ha have that leap of faith, huh? huh? Because hey. that's the character's name. Uh, and try it out on Steam. Or not. One of the two. Yeah. 
Ooh. Um, go ahead. I don't. I actually haven't gotten a good one in a couple of clicks. Uh, I got something very interesting looking. Monster train. Okay. A monster train. Deck building roguelite about uh, as a strategic roguelite deck building game with a twist set on a train to hell. You use tactical decision making to to defend multiple vertical battlegrounds. I mean, that is weird looking. That does look interesting, though. I like it. And it has uh... a real time competitive multiplayer uh, section as well. So, yeah. I'm not sure if it's multiplayer only or not. Uh, don't, doesn't look like it is. It looks like uh, a top uh, one saying uh, a mashup of Slay the Spire with some tower defense and CCG mechanics. That is really interesting. Yeah. Um, I got uh, Need for Speed Heat Deluxe Edition. I don't... W- was Heat the most recent game that they uh, released? Or is this like a spinoff or a remaster or something? Uh, What's a little bit? I mean, that's the problem right now. Uh, I'm just double checking. Uh, Need for Speed Heat was the latest one, 2019. Okay. So this uh, um, this is probably that cringy one that we saw at E3 last year. Oh, with like the weird story mode, whatever, where like the car blows out the back of a trailer. Yeah. I mean, the Need for Speed games have always been a lot of yeah, fun. I remember correctly. They that- certainly are not good. But they're fun. Now, if I remember correctly, this also had some issues with the in-game stores having some weird... I have to just sit around and wait for quite a while. And yeah, this is that one with the story mode. Okay. I mean... I mean, it's 60% off right now. You get it for like 28 bucks. I don't know. It's the first game I had that looked even remotely interesting. Yeah, it's also an open-world Need for Speed, so that's odd. Well, no, there's been a couple of open-world Need for Speed games. I mean, fully Um, open-world. It's not set in a city, or just a city. There have been a couple that have been pretty open-world like that. Um, Ah, shit, I can't remember what... It it was one where you like, an undercover cop, and that covered... Like, if it, it was supposed to be, like, a facsimile of, like, a, a certain part of California. Uh, that would be undercover. It had, like, a couple of... I forgot about that one. Okay. Yeah. I know that one was was a pretty big open world. And there might have been one more. But, yeah, I mean, most of the rest of them were cities. But, I mean, that's still, a, you know, a pretty decent chunk of, of territory to drive around in. Yeah. Nothing beats Underground 2, though. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I got something interesting. What you got? Uh, a bridge-building game. Polybridge 2. Remember way, way back when I said, uh, talking about uh, uh, Portal Bridge Maker, that there's a lot better out there? Well, this mm-hmm. uh, is the sequel to one of those, where it is a physics based bridge uh, or physics based puzzle game where you're building bridges and trying to get you know, vehicles across. It looks like it's a lot more in depth than it used to be, too. <laughs> uh, with uh, some. Looks almost Rube Goldbergish uh, stuff going on. It's very interesting. Uh, take on some levels with a- added cushion and bounce your way to victory with springs, <laughs> varied leaderboards, new physics. I mean, damn, right? Yeah. So there you go, Polybridge Two. So I got Pro Cycling Manager 2020. <laughs> Become the manager of a cycling team and take them to the top! Exclamation point. You'll need to manage your finances and recruitment, plan your training, implement your strategy, 
and new for this edition. Look after your cyclists and their morale. I love sh- I love stuff like this. I, actually, I love it. I have one of the earlier versions uh, through reviews, and actually, it wasn't that bad. I just uh, couldn't do a video on it. Yeah, I I love stuff like this. Manage a team, maybe have like some basic control over them during the event, but. I mean, I've always preferred, like, the, you know, the sim management aspect. I've said it a million times on here that I prefer, like, the B-spec mode of Gran Turismo, where you're the, the racing manager. I enjoy motorsport manager a ton. You know, I just, I like this kind of stuff. So it's up my alley. So I got an interesting one. I got Survivalist Indivisible Strain. So open world survival game. But I, the main reason why... I, wanted to highlight this one developer bob <laughs> oh that's great so he um, bob has done this is a sequel to the survivalist which actually was pretty decently received on steam and there's review saying don't expect a triple a game but it's actually pretty decent overall it looks like it's more of a uh first person perspective now the other ones were all overhead isometric view or no this is third person sorry but it looks like it's more in the action but yeah barring from current events maybe it looks like some uh clunkiness some uh pack controls but yeah i mean it's bob so right yeah go bob um this is interesting interesting or neat looking it's not a game um, it's called Easy Pose, and it says um, it's an app to pose human bodies for people who are uh, who are drawing or want to learn to draw. And you can view it in different ways, like as like a wireframe or as an image that's not colored in. Um, I don't know. It it looks interesting. Not a game, but looks neat. Mm-hmm. So like. What this, what I would like about this, and you can, I'm sure there's a way to do it better than I know how to do this, but you can kind of do this with Photoshop. But to create like coloring pages, um, that would be a lot of fun, I think, if there was some way to create like coloring pages and then print them. And I know you can do that in Photoshop or other um, photo editing programs, um, but to get something a lot more complex than I know how to do, and that would be neat. But I, this is probably like a really roundabout way to do that. But I mean, it, you know, to someone who's artistic or wants to learn, maybe this could be really helpful for them. I don't know. It's, or it's use certainly it as unique. Some sort of uh, uh, style guide for uh, drawing as well. You know, a pose. Yeah, strength pose. So I got Shanti and the Seven Sirens. I think this is a sequel to the previous ones. This this game has kind of gotten, or this franchise. I saw a resurgence in the last few years, and I'm not sure why. Is it just one of those games that uh, became a meme because it was bad? I have no idea. I never played it. But, eh, right? Yeah. I also have never never played that. I mean, you know what I'm talking about. It you know, kind of became a thing for a bit. Yeah, but I mean, I'm, I've never played it. But I'll throw it on there but- just for the hell of it. What is this? I know you talked about that one last week, so I won't do that. So here's Surviving Titan. Um, this looks like a sort of sci-fi theme or twist on your sort of farming game. 
You crash land on the planet Titan. Suffering from amnesia and armed with only basic survival kit, you begin exploring the planet looking for any signs of life. Can you craft build and survive long enough to discover the secrets of Titan and escape? But it looks like um, Stardew Valley. Weird. So, I, I like that. I mean, you know, I've said many times, like, you make something sci-fi and I'm in. It's five bucks. Uh-oh. <laughs> I'm, I'm tempted to just buy that right now. Uh, we'll let's see. see. It's a... Uh... Looks like it's also on Android at the very least for five bucks. So no PC tax. Well, that's good. I'll think about it. I'll think about buying it. Mm, there's some more just porn on Steam. Huh? In okay, this is not the porn. Into the Flames, an open world multiplayer firefighting game. Uh, this doesn't look good, at least at first glance. But it's interesting sounding. Mm-hmm. Uh, third-person slash third-person open-world multiplayer firefighting game played with friends and handle a variety of different emergencies in multiple environments. Drive fire trucks to scenes, four stores. How to handle each emergency will be I'm, completely up to players. I'm fascinated by these games. I mean, I don't expect it to be any good, but right? Yeah, I don't either. But it is a different type of game. I mean, I, I've seen a few firefighting games here recently, but it's not your standard. This doesn't look like your standard roguelite or shooter or whatever. So, hey, you know what? Good for you, uh, fully involved game studios. But they're not Bob. They're not Bob, but still good for you. Uh-huh, there's some more porn. Yeah, I'm done with my list. I hit two that you talked about recently that I knew of. And uh, two that were either VR only or... Uh, not in English. Yep. Um, I am on, I'm about to click onto my last one. What is this? Green Project? Post-apocalyptic survival farming. Green the world to survive. I'm gonna copy-paste. Um, don't know if that's any good or not, but it was interesting enough that I called it out. Yep. post I almost said post-apocalyptic Stardew. That's not quite correct. That doesn't look like Stardew yeah, but Valley. Yeah, the same but... idea. You know, farming game. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's that's it for me. I had a couple that you had listed, a couple of trash, several porn games, and then... Well, they know their audience. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Although, looking at the rest of my list, I, I mean, it's already there, but Need for Speed Heat could just go away. But, you know, I didn't know since it was at the top of my queue. But, yeah. Um, gotta play it safe, right? That, that's right. Gotta play it safe. Because my queues tend to be not as good as yours because of how many games I've wishlisted and how many times I went through the queue. And how many porn games you have. Indeed. Um, but, Rage, why don't you uh, hit him with them socials? Well, I've been Caffeine Rage. Can find me on Twitter, GameOCR. Or you can find me on Steam, Caffeine Rage. And you've been? Gaming Psychologist. You can find me on the YouTubes by searching for Gaming Psychologist. On Twitter, at JMA4707. And if you want to be my friend on Steam, you can send a re- send me a friend request at JArthur4707. And if you wish to let them know exactly what episode of the podcast you're coming from, the password for this week is Nitwit. Nitwit. <laughs> Going uh, back in my uh, list because nothing really jumped out at me, and yeah, good words, good insults. I don't want to be a little disingenuous, you know. Considering we yeah. just talked about that, you know. 
Mm-hmm. Not so felt a little wrong. But oh, so right. Unclean. Unclean. Yeah, that's pretty unclean of me, actually. But I couldn't resist. But I can. Oof. But right, let's just get the hell out of here. So once again, you can contact us VGL podcast at gmail.com with your letters, voicemails, game related topics, or cease and desist orders. Or you can just contact us uh, on Twitter. Uh, VGL podcast is there as well. Or Discord, which you can find us via a link on Podbean, vglpodcast.podbean.com, which is hosted by our lovely, lovely patrons, patreon.com slash vglpodcast. Or if you wish to have something other than our RSS feed, you find us on iTunes, Google Play, your podcatcher of choice, or Carrier Pigeon if absolutely necessary, it seems, right? Indeed. Our intro and outro music is On the Ground by Kevin McLeod, and our Discovery Cube music is doobly do by the same artist. You can find his work over at Computech.com, and... As always, as his lovely music starts to roll across my voice. Bye-bye now. See you next time. Bye-bye.